Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you for the many ways that you care for us and protect us and provide for us throughout the week. Lord, we do lift up all of these different things we just talked about to you, that you would go ahead of Mark and Sarah and meet all their needs, that you would surround our church with your protection from COVID and keep us healthy and well. Help us, O oh Lord, to be responsible and to come together as a community, Lord, to not be divided by these matters and to truly care for one another. We pray that you would, Lord, uh, bless us as we continue to launch small groups again this fall and help us to care for one another. We were not meant to do this spiritual life alone, so knit us together and help us to bear one another's burdens, Lord. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would continue to be with our brothers and sisters all around the world, particularly in Haiti and Afghanistan. We know that you can use times like this to show your glory in unexpected ways. So we ask that you would use the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we just pray, O oh Lord, that you would, in many marvelous ways, manifest your presence to these people who need you every hour. We pray that you would receive these offerings, which continues to fuel all that we do for you here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, go ahead and open up to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. And uh, we have been giving out Psalm... Uh, psalm memory verses or or basically display cards so you got the uh summer right in the summer and now as fall approaches we have fall and these are out in the lobby on your way out so these psalms come from uh book two of of the psalter of course summer is like book one fall is like book two winter is three and four and then uh spring comes back in book five. So you can grab these on the way out, just post them all over your house or in your car, and um, that's one way that we're helping you to get hide God's word in your heart. Psalm 107, you will probably have no trouble recognizing how famous this psalm is. This is kicking off book five, and we've learned that the psalms take us through all the seasons of life. Book five is spring. God has taken us through fall, through winter. We never thought we'd get out, and suddenly spring has sprung. This book just contains a lot of psalms that reflect a person who has been rescued and redeemed and resettled by God. Boy, have we been through so much, and now I'm back, and God's back, and I've got so many stories to share. So book five Psalm 107, it's entitled, Let the Redeemed of the Lord Say So. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, we just have to pause there, right? Because I get a little nostalgic when I hear that. There have been several songs that have come up from this psalm. And check it out. How many of you remember this old Don Moan classic? Go ahead and play that old song here. Raise your hand if you remember this one. It's coming right from this song, right? And this psalm is a song. So I can't guarantee you that when they originally sang this psalm that it sounded like the Don Moan version. I don't know. Maybe it was. Uh, but then this, this psalm cap still captures the hearts of artists today. Josh Baldwin wrote a song that was uh, just a, a year or two ago. You can play that one. That came out right of this psalm too. Probably heard this one on the radio. Comes right up.
All right. So please remember this is a song. It's like I've got song lyrics here that I'm proclaiming to you today. Because it's a song, it's, it's a person's effort to truly commemorate all that God did for them and for their country. And this psalm should prompt you to remember all that God has done for you and to find your way to tell everyone around you how God has done great things for you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's where we're going today. Well, the first question that we can ask is this. Write this down. Have you been redeemed by the Lord? Say so. You have to know if you're redeemed, and some of you might feel like, I don't even know what that word means. Redeemed? Like, I redeem a coupon on, online before I get a great discount. Is that what the word redeem means? There's actually a big doctrinal feature here, and there are many doctrinal categories that we can cover in the Bible. Uh, this doctrinal category covers what's called soteriology, salvation, how we can be saved. And the idea of redemption in verse 2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, first shows up in Exodus 6, 6-7. We'll put those verses up on the screen. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will, there it is, first time in the Bible, redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So generally speaking, the idea of being redeemed by God is you are stuck, crushed under the burdens of sin and death. You're a slave, just like the Egyptians physically were slaves to the Egyptian, or the Israelites were physical slaves to the Egyptians, you and I are spiritual slaves to sin. God has to redeem us. He has to free us. He has to break those bonds and walk us out to a land of freedom. Now, this is um, based on everything we're told today about humanity, one of the most insulting things that you can ever suggest to someone today. The Bible teaches that at our core, at our heart, we are in shackles to sin, every one of us. That's not what we learned uh, on, on TV, right? Uh, that's not what we were taught from the world, that our fundamental problem is slavery to sin. But if you agree with God that that is our problem, then you will desire for him to redeem you and if God has redeemed you, if he's rescued you and released you from slavery, say so. Say so. Jot this down. You and I, we were hopelessly enslaved by sin. We were hopelessly enslaved by sin. And people disagree with this diagnosis of the condition because they feel like things must be better than that. Sure, there are some wicked, evil people out there doing bad things. And, but, but me, I'm a... I'm actually a pretty good person. Abdu Murray, who came here once and talked to us about Islam as he was converted out of Islam to Christianity, he said the fastest growing religion on earth is good personism. Good personism. I'm a good person and therefore I'm going to heaven. Better than you. Uh, and people think if they fall on the, you know, good side of the goodness scale, they're good. That's actually not the way human nature works. We are slaves to sin. Sin means that we have broken God's moral law. Sometimes people struggle with this assessment of themselves because they feel like it's not fair. Well, I haven't done the big stuff. 
right? But they don't understand the nature of God's law. John Stott compared God's law to a pane of glass. He said if you throw a brick, it, stu- it strikes the glass in one place, but it breaks the whole window. The same is true about how we break God's law. Wherever you break it, the whole thing shatters. You can't break it a little. If we've broken God's law, we are condemned as outlaws in the court of God. Though we all break God's law differently, we are all condemned as having broken God's law. Therefore, we are hopelessly enslaved by sin. Jot this down. Jesus paid the price to set you free. We learn that the way that God redeemed Israel was by raising up Moses. Moses, the deliverer, led the people through the cold, black, dark waters of death, the Red Sea, and parted the waters and led God's people through on dry ground. Jesus, and then Moses said, a prophet like me will arise. Well, that was Jesus. Jesus does spiritually what Moses did physically. Jesus does in heaven what Moses did on earth. And so we need Jesus to redeem us from bondage to sin. It's important to know that Jesus was one of a kind. A lot of times people will give Jesus some respect, right? They will click like, like him. They will not worship him. Uh, And it's because they don't know who he is. Because Jesus was God's only son, he can represent God to you. Because he's Mary's son, he can represent you to God. See how that works? He's divine, so he can represent God's will on earth. He's human, so he can take our needs to heaven. He's the only one who can bridge that gap. And so he alone lived the perfect life because he was the divine sinless son. What he did to bridge that gap is he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice, a substitute. He paid it all. Because he paid it all, he satisfied the full law of God. The price was owed and paid. The debt was paid on our behalf. When Lauren and I were uh, dating, we really liked each other. And right after we started dating, Lauren went on a J-term class to London without me. And uh, the year was, I think, 1998. And uh, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have Skype, we didn't have Zoom, we had cord phones. And we had collect calls, remember 1-800-COLLECT? And then sometimes you can find 10 cents a minute, the dial-a-minute guy, dial-a-minute, dial-a-minute, 10 cents a minute, dime-a-minute, that's what he called it, dime-a-minute. So we were doing that, we must have messed up a little bit and failed to do the calculations right, because when she got back and her dad got the phone bill, we were in trouble. Big trouble. And we had a debt. And she was a waitress and I was a DJ and we had to pay that debt off. Her dad was gracious. I think he cut us some slack. We all know what it's like to have a debt, a shocking, eye-popping debt. But when you get to heaven and you realize that one way to understand the effects of our sins is it creates a spiritual moral debt we can never repay. Uh, it's like a court fine. You owe the court, and it's more than you could ever come up with. And if you can't pay the fine, you go off and you're confined. So Jesus paid the great tremendous price, the debt that we could never repay. And if you understand this, then you will 
be redeemed by the Lord, and then you should say so. God paid an awesome debt off for me, my spiritual debt. Jot this down, and then you live because he died for you. This is what redemption means. This is the area of redemption. You live because he died. His death, burial, and resurrection installed him as your redeemer, right? Your redeemer. And Job said this, right? I believe my redeemer lives. And that's what we say. My redeemer lives. He rose again. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Jesus right now is enthroned at the right hand of God in power and glory. And remember, this doesn't just demonstrate God's justice. This demonstrates God's love. He loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world to redeem your enslaved soul. That's great news. Wow. So has Jesus brought you from death to life? Do you understand God's love? It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It says, his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 3, he gathered in from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. God is gathering in his people. He's building a kingdom that will never be shaken. I like what Oz Guinness says, commenting on what we see in the world. He says this, the kingdom of heaven is now present and active, working to rescue and restore humanity. It will fill the earth and outlast the passing parade of world empires and superpowers. Are you in the kingdom of Christ? I'm reading a book now that basically gives a political survey of how we got to where we got in terms of philosophy and political theory and where the founders of America got all, all the way back uh, to, to ancient Greece and when they first started thinking about natural law and liberty and, and ancient Jerusalem and how they talked about monotheism and it traces it all the way through and nations rise and empires rise and all these new ideas are tried out. How do we, you know, assert power and how do we provide for people and how do we put value on the individual and how do we come together and you just hear one story after another of total human carnage. And you say to yourself, is there any hope that we can actually come together, not just in our country, but in the whole world, under one unifying, peace-giving, life-altering truth? It's only in the kingdom of Christ. It's only in the kingdom of Christ. Hey, have you been redeemed by the Lord? Say so! Now, the rest of the psalm, and we can't cover the whole psalm, so this is like excerpts from Psalm 107 shares some things that happened to Israelites in the past, or all of Israel, and it says people were in trouble, God showed up and rescued them, they sang about it, we should too. That's, that's the cycle here. So it goes on to say this in verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their troubles, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Jot this down. Tell how he led your lost hungry soul to safety. Tell how he led your lost hungry soul to safety. I'm doing what the psalmist is doing. He's taking something that God did... And then he's saying, they sang about it, and then he's saying, we should too. 
So this is historical. God did these things, but it's also devotional. He's doing them for us also. I love how it gives us a detailed portrait, a picturesque portrait of what a trial is like. The first portrait here is of being lost in the desert, no way home, no home to even go to, hungry, thirsty, starving, and homeless, and God is there. Here's a picture of the wilderness they would have thought of. This is the wilderness. Israel has a lot of that. Imagine being lost in that. Don't know where you're going. They didn't have GPS. None of that. Where are we? We don't know. They don't even have a city to end up in. It's hot. There's no food. They're thirsty. They're going to die. A slow and agonizing death. Wow. Lost. Hungry. Need to be led to safety. This is a spiritual por portrait of salvation. God has to be the one to lead our souls out of the wild into the land of promise. But it's also a portrait of God delivering us from trials throughout our lives. The desert uniquely can portray trials, and maybe you have them right now, where your comfort and your conveniences have been taken away from you. That happens in many ways, where your life is disrupted and you get a little disgruntled and you can't quite see a way back to that, that home, that place of where you feel. You know, it could happen in many ways. It could happen if you have a newborn. It could happen if you have a health crisis that's slowly unfolding. If there's job turmoil and you're not sure how it's going to play out, and then it does play out, and now you're looking for work. It just feels like a forever pursuit. Maybe you're enduring a broken relationship that's not like blunt force trauma to the head, but it's just like a desert, a, a wilderness. Maybe these are the feelings that you have. You feel lost. Your soul is hungry, and you don't feel safe, and you're miserable. God wants to meet you there. Write this down when you don't know where to turn. They didn't have a way. He led them by a straight way in their trouble. Verse 7, he led them by a straight way. So maybe you don't know where to turn. You're hungry. You don't know where to turn. You're miserable. Where do I go, Lord? Which way am I supposed to go? So many people wonder, what does God want me to do here? And they're not sure. It takes time to figure out. And the worst part about it is they feel like they're alone, like there's not a lot of other people around them. Lauren and I, I, sh I shared this in the past, but we watched this series on History Channel called Alone. How many of you have seen that? Alone. The, where they basically take these people and drop them off in the wild. And they get like five things or whatever, and they got to make it. And some people have made it I can't remember what the record is, but I think they've made it close to 200 days on this show where they're out there with nothing. They've got to find their own food. And here's some pictures that they've showed from, this was not this season, the last season, but this is a trial where it's not too hot, it's too cold. It gets really cold. Here's the next picture. And they're just out there in the wild every morning waking up. Where am I getting my food? Surprisingly, the greatest struggles that these people have Often they tap out because of the loneliness, because of the despair, because they miss their family. Sure, they get a little sick sometimes and they think maybe they can make it through it, but then they start thinking about their family. And that's what it feels like when you're in this trial. You feel lost, hungry, alone, unsafe, and you don't know where to turn. You can't go on anymore. Jot this down, and your soul is fainting. 
It says in verse 5, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe your soul is just so exhausted, so dehydrated. You're just, you're just spinning in circles, not knowing what's next. Your soul is fainting, losing hope, losing your way. This is kind of what it feels like to be baking in the sun. Maybe you like heat stroke is what we're talking about here. And boy, has it been a hot summer. Am I right? I was out mowing the lawn yesterday. I went for a little jog, and whoa! We had some people over, and we had this one little kiddie pool out in the yard, and I think everybody wanted to jump in it. They didn't because it would be embarrassing, but I wanted to jump in it. It was so hot! Just for a little bit. I can't imagine living out there. We know what it's like to get in trouble in the heat, right? I found some pictures of people who got sunburned. Check it out. Here's some people who got embarrassingly sunburned. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Ouch! Here's the next picture. This guy's beat rat because he fell asleep in the sun. Looks like a tomato. Here's the next picture. This guy thought it was cool to go out with body paint on uh, and came back. <laughs> sunburn stripes. We know what it's like to be like hot, sunburned, like... And here's the thing. This psalm is all about how God met people there in the wilderness. He will meet you there in the wilderness. He will meet you there. It says he led them, verse 7, by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfied the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Jot this down. Cry out to the Lord for help. Cry out to the Lord for help. It says in verse 6, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And hey, have you cried out to the Lord for the first time? You realize that your soul is starving without Jesus Christ. You live in the wild of sin and you will never find your way home. Jesus alone, he called, he's, he's the bread of life. Jesus alone can give your soul life like food. He's the living water. Jesus alone can give your parched, dehydrated soul the living water that will well up to eternal life. Have you cried out? That's what it sounds like. Cried out! for eternal life, because you're stuck in the wild without Jesus. If you have, you'll find yourself in the wilderness again. Jesus, the Son of God, first thing that happened, he got baptized, and then what happened? The Spirit led him out into the wild for 40 days. No food, no water, and Satan came for him. Welcome to faith. It's going to happen to you again and again. Here I am again, out in the wild. In, uh, I think, the book of Hosea, it's kind of cool. God tells why he leads his people to the wild. He says, I will lead her, Israel, out into the wild, and there I will speak tenderly to her. Meaning he strips away everything else. He gets you out all alone, and there's where it's like a date, where he's speaking tenderly to you. He's meeting you there, showing you his glory. Hey, if you're there, cry out to the Lord. Number one, have you been redeemed by the Lord? Say so. You were hopelessly enslaved by sin. He paid the price to set you free. You live because he died. Number two, tell how he led your lost, hungry soul to safety. When you don't know where to turn and your soul is fainting, cry out to the Lord for help. Number three, tell how he freed you from a gloomy dungeon. Here's another portrait of what God does for his people. Verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their heads down with hard labor. 
They fell down with none to help. Then they, here it is again, cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, and the shadow of death burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron." This trial is portrayed as being in the dark, gloomy dungeon, chained to the wall. This is bad. We know that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament was locked up. Sometimes he was under house arrest. Other times uh, he was in the, uh, like the Philippian jailer, he was in a dark dungeon, chained to a wall. Here's a picture of a Roman dungeon, one place where they believe the Apostle Paul himself was held for a time. And that right there, imagine for a couple months, you know, imagine yourself there, chained to the wall, and by the way, turn the light off, because that was added today. No electricity back then, no plumbing, no doctor checking in on you. There was no, in the jails back then, food court, basketball court, you couldn't go lift weights. There was no quad. You were chained to a wall in the dark with the rats. And that's a picture of how some of God's people found themselves. Now again, this is speaking of something general. So historically, some of God's people, the Israelites, found themselves maybe during the exile, maybe when they were invaded, they were just thrown in a dungeon and left for dead. And there were reports of God showing up and miraculously setting them free. Wow. And they commemorated that here in the psalm. But this also takes on a larger purpose because it describes our problem with sin. And it describes God setting us free from the power of sin. So jot this down. When you feel guilty and condemned, it starts with that feeling. What's, what's going on in this portrait is some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and irons. Why? For they had rebelled against the words of God. So much of our misery in life is because we didn't do it God's way. And this is here addressing a, the pain and the agony of where, where your choices have led to your misery. Sometimes people wonder if they get sick or if something happens to a family member. What did I do? Did I do something wrong? And they feel guilty, but there's really no evidence that it was punishment. But this is talking about where there's a lot of evidence that it's your fault. And when people get into that situation where there's a lot of evidence that it is their fault, sometimes then they feel like saying, I don't know why this is happening. And everyone around them is like, please, please, really, don't give me this. Don't, don't give, especially siblings, if you've got them. I don't know why life is so hard. Do you want me to tell you? I've got a list. Been keeping it a long time. See, we kind of do that with God. Uh, by a man's own folly, his life is ruined, the Bible says, but his soul rages against the Lord. How could you do this to me? We did this to us. It's hard to face that reality. But many people do actually face that reality, and maybe you're one of them. Maybe you feel like, I'm guilty as charged. So many times I've invited people to church and they're like, oh, I can't go there. Why? I don't know what God would do to me. They know. They're in big trouble with God. Maybe you're aware of your sins and you battle shame, fear, conviction. 
and you don't know what to do because you feel the punishing pain of your own folly and you don't know what to do with it. You know you've blown up your life. You know that you've ruined it. What do I do now? When I feel like I'm chained in darkness and I can't escape and the weight of it all is crushing me. Cry out to the Lord. When you feel guilty and condemned, jot this down, and fear there is no way out. I can't free myself. I'm stuck. I blew it. And I can't get out of here. The gavel fell. I'm doomed. It goes on in verse 17 to say, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. Maybe you blew it. Uh, maybe, maybe you are living with the painful irreversible consequences of your sin right now. And I would ask you this, have you ever for the first time cried out to the Lord and asked him to redeem you? God, I blew it, and now I can't get out of it, and I need you to save me. Because here's the thing, all of the pain on earth uh, mirrors trouble that's coming when you go on to the next life. God's trying to prepare you for that. This trial of being in the darkness, the first trial was being in the desert, now we're in the darkness, can kind of parallel when you're caught in your own problems and your trouble. This could, in your own life, show up when you have disciplinary action taken against you because you've done something wrong. Maybe even there is legal trouble or financial distress because you made bad choices, wrong choices. There could be court cases. There could be jail time. Maybe, maybe you're fined. Maybe you're fired. Uh, maybe in your relationship, you did something terribly wrong and now you're in jail. There's no getting out. You can't free yourself from what you've done emotionally. Whatever it is, when you feel guilty and condemned and fear there's no way out, jot this down, cry out to the Lord for help. That's what they did again. It says that they, verse 13, cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. This is a portrait of salvation in the New Testament time and time again. He, spiritually, I'm in prison and I can't break free. He brought them out of darkness into the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Wow. God, I want you to know this. It doesn't matter what you've done. God saves people like you. If you think heaven is just for the gentlest people, the best people, the saints, uh, you're wrong. Heaven's going to be filled with the vilest offenders. You're not going to believe the kinds of people God lets in there. Listen, I'm serious. People who you were, if you were, with a, if you were in a room with them on earth, you'd want out. And they might be your neighbor up there because God saved them. Heaven isn't for good people. Heaven's for saved people. And you can be saved. But you have to cry out to the Lord for help. And then once he's saved you, you should say so. You should tell other people how... Have you shared your testimony with people recently? Hey, let me tell you how God broke my sinful, shackled soul free from prison and saved me forever. There are many ways that people can share their testimony. You don't have to go on a street corner with a sandwich board over you saying, the end is near, and start yelling at people. There are ways to share your faith that align with your personality. One of the things I'm really blessed by is the artists in our church uh, consistently respond when we put out a challenge. 
on the walls in the hallway out there. Our current challenge was we're going through the book of Psalms, and they took a psalm, and they created some work of art to show how it resonated with them. It might be a picture they painted, or uh, a little essay they wrote, or something they built, right? I, I love when artistic people write a song, or paint something, and put it up there, because it's a really good way for people to be impacted with the truth of Christ, and they really can't argue with you. It's not like they're going to be like, I disagree with that. It's like, what? I'm just showing you my heart. It's actually a very powerful way to show what God has done for you. I don't know how, but you have to find a way to say so. You have to find a way to tell people that you cried out and he rescued you. And even if he saved you, maybe now you still find yourself in that gloomy dungeon again. I blew it. I blew it and I don't know how to get out of this. Hey, cry out to the Lord again. He will break those bonds. He will lift up that gate and set you free in power. Number one, have you been redeemed by the Lord? Say so. Number two, tell how he led your lost, hungry soul to safety. Number three, tell how he freed you from a gloomy dungeon. Number four, jot this down. Tell how he calmed the storm and led you to shore. Tell how he calmed the storm and led you to shore. We're skipping ahead to verse 23. In verse 23, it says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Hey, is that you? They were at their wits end. Is that you seasick and storm-tossed? And Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people, and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. See how they're saying it. They're saying it. They're singing it. Tell how he calmed the storm and led you to shore. Historically, in the Old Testament, there are stories of God calming the storm, specifically Jonah. Jonah, right, was told to go and preach the gospel to Nineveh. He would eventually become the most successful evangelist in the Bible. Jonah led more people to faith in God than anybody else in the Bible. The revival in Nineveh you're, you're talking so many people, it's unbelievable. Even the animals got saved. Not really. But it reports that they made their animals fast with the whole country because they were so afraid of God's judgment. It was unbelievable. At the beginning, Jonah's like, I'm out. Ran away from God. Goes aboard the ship. They're out there at sea. Jonah's sleeping. This is the reverse Jesus story. Jonah's the problem. And he's asleep down in the ship. And the wave, God's angry with him and the ship's going to go down. The godless mariners, the, the sailors, right? They realize God's upset. They wake Jonah up. We're going to die. Jonah's like, yeah, it's my fault. What? I'm running from my God. What? What are we supposed to do? Remember what he said? Well, just throw me over, I guess. <laughs> All right. Woo. And in he goes. And then the, the sea grows calm, and the storm stops. And all the sailors get saved. 
we got to worship this God. He's the biggest God. He's the big one. They all start singing. Jonah gets swallowed up. Oh, well, I guess it's over for me. That story is one of the times here that God calmed a storm. And it's not the way it should have happened. Jesus is the way it should have happened. Jesus was the righteous one who calmed the storm. But this idea of a nasty storm suddenly sweeping down, and I'm on a boat. It's terrifying on land to be caught in a storm. I'm on a boat, uh, and I'm just being thrown around. That's another portrait of what a trial is like and what salvation is like. Life without Jesus. You see, things can go bad fast in your life. Uh, there could be a sudden relational explosion that you didn't see coming. There could be an immediate health crisis, <clears throat> and every hour you're making decisions based on partial information for you or for someone you know. Uh, there could be things coming at you quickly. That's the storm. And there are times when you cry out to God, He will calm the storm. This portrays someone who cries out to Jesus for salvation when your whole life is blowing up. This doesn't happen to everyone, but if your whole life is blowing up and you're being thrown around and you don't know if you're going to survive, and you cry out, Jesus will calm that storm in your life and he will save you. And if you're a saved person, you can find yourself in a storm again. And he will deliver you when you cry out to him. Write this down. When the storm throws you into turmoil... Suddenly, scary, dangerous, you're overwhelmed, you're trapped, and you cry out to him. Jot this down. And the ship is sinking fast. I mean, this is coming at you fast. Some trials are slow and agonizing, not this one. Boom, 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 boom. Every morning, new email, new information. It just got worse. Con what did, what's the text say now? What's the doctor say now? What are we supposed to Boom, 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 boom. And some of you are in it right now. And you're seasick. You can't see anything. you got to cry out to the Lord for help. Jot this down. Cry out to the Lord for help. He can calm the storm. He can calm your heart in the storm. However he shows up, he will deliver you. Wow. What portraits we have here of crying out to the Lord, being delivered, and then saying so. Have you been redeemed by the Lord? Tell how he led your lost, hungry soul to safety. Tell how he freed you from a gloomy dungeon. Tell how he calmed the storm and led you to shore, safely to shore. Well, let me close by sharing the story of Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was a prolific poet and hymn writer. She was born in 1820 in New York. At the age of six weeks old, she caught a cold that led to inflammation in her eyes. An incompetent doctor applied some medicine to it and it left her blinded. At just six weeks old, Fanny Crosby was blind. She found ways to express herself. She wrote her first poem at the age of eight. She would eventually write 9,000 hymns, including To God Be the Glory, Safe in the Arms of Jesus, All the Way the Savior Leads Me, and Blessed Assurance. From a young age, she learned about the love of God from her grandmother who read the Bible to her and taught her how to pray. She would eventually be called the hymn queen. But she didn't write her first hymn until she was 40 years old. 
She got saved in 1850 when she was invited to some revival meetings, and we're talking fire and brimstone sermons. She went several times and saw a lot of other people get saved, but she felt like it wasn't her time yet. Then finally, one night, she got up and she went forward. She was the only one. She stood alone. She couldn't see it. She was the only one. She got saved. And after God transformed her soul, she began to write hymns. In 1882, she was 62 years old. She wrote the hymn, Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim It, which echoes this song. You probably have heard it before. We've got a clip from it. Go ahead and play that. That song was written when a 62-year-old woman, blind, remembered how God saved her several years before. When she was asked, is there a special hymn written about your conversion experience, the hymn queen said, yes, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. That's my favorite song to sing about my salvation. She eventually died February 12, 1915. At the age of 94, her faith became sight. The question is this, how has God caused you to say, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it? How will you find your voice? Maybe you won't write 800 hymns. How will you find your voice? Are you redeemed? Has God saved you? If so, say so. Tell the world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you promised to lead us through every trial that we face on this earth and eventually to settle us safely in glory. So many times in this world, you will hear us, you will respond, you will answer us in the darkness, in the desert, in the deep. And whatever happens, you will work everything together for the good of those who love you, and one day we will stand before you safely on the shore of eternity. You will have rescued us for the final time. Redeemed how we love to proclaim it. I know that there are some who came here today without the hope of salvation, without the biblically-based knowledge that you are preparing a place for them. And right now, I pray that they would just cry out to you. Cry out to you and say, Jesus, lead me out of this desert. Jesus, lead me out of this darkness. Jesus, lead me out of the depths where the waters are swallowing me up. Save me. Maybe you're asking Jesus to save you for the first time today. Maybe as a saved person, you're again asking him to meet you in that wasteland. You're again calling out to him to be with you in the, in the dungeon. Maybe again you're telling him, I'm being tossed around to your Lord. Calm the storm. Cry out to him. He will deliver you. And boy, will you have stories to share. And share them. Tell others about the great love God has for you. Don't stay silent. Talk. Talk proudly and boldly and regularly about your love for Jesus and all that he has done for you. Jesus, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.